Australian True Crime is a proudly independent podcast produced by us with no corporate or network overlords policing our content. Unfortunately, though, that means we get none of their cool cash either. Fortunately, we have always had a wonderful community around us and that is you. And we have a brand new way for you to get around us and that is by becoming a paid subscriber. If you do that, you can access this podcast ad-free and before everybody else, as well as getting exclusive access to the archive and lots of bonus content. Click the Australian True Crime Plus link in the show notes to find out more. If ongoing payments aren't for you, you can now make a one-off contribution as well. Isn't that handy? It can be any amount you wish simply by clicking the supporter link in the show notes. See, you've got options. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. People get a fair go. Most people come away in magistrates' courts, you're able to say, well, you got fairly dealt with. Okay. That's not to say that it's perfect by a long shot and in the book I make quite a few points where things have gone wrong. But in general, yeah, the system works. The Magistrates' Court is the workhorse of the legal system, hearing both criminal and civil matters. Magistrates' Courts around Australia hear the vast majority of sentenced court cases, more than 90% in fact. Most of what we see in the media will be high-profile cases heard in the Supreme or County Courts. Our guest for this episode is here to give us a frank view of what it's like to work in the Magistrates' Court and its importance. Michael Challenger is a criminal barrister based in Melbourne, 
and has been working in the Victorian court since 1975, representing clients, mostly in the magistrate's court and children's court. He's a really interesting guy, as you'll discover, and has written a book called Mostly Guilty, which is funny, a little politically incorrect at times, and it's about his career working in this first rung of the court system. Michael dubs himself a low-flying barrister, but as you'll hear, the work he and his colleagues do every day is really important, and to be honest, probably undervalued. Before we hear some of his tales, Michael defines for us exactly what the Magistrate's Court is for. Obviously, there's a hierarchy, and on the bottom is the Magistrate's Court. Is it? And it's where 90% of cases are done, and it's where even the heavy crims have started. What sort of crimes do you commit to go there? Uh, Shoplift, theft, breaching intervention orders, assaults. The Magistrate's Court can sentence people to a number of offences for up to five years. But most of the low-level offences and driving offences and so on and stuff that some of the people there are kind of average people who've done the wrong thing. Mm. Um, So it is the bottom level. But the thing about the Magistrates' Court is it's the real theatre of life and it's fast-moving. There is a court, generally court one in a particular venue, is what's called the Mansion Court Mm. where people are pleading guilty And so it's something like the express queue at the supermarket. And so you whiz in, yeah, pinched, you know, 30 cassettes, yep, and then you tell your sad story for, you know, five or ten minutes and you get sentenced and it's all over. So it's got that attraction that you just see all levels and all, you know, and a variety of offences. Some of them get a a bit heavy, but often they aren't. There's a real theatre, a life drama around the magistrate's court. I used to do a fair bit of court reporting when I worked at leader newspapers and I saw funny things when I was waiting. I saw really sad things, like things that stick out in my mind are like seeing a guy who was in this completely wrongly fitted suit and sneakers, like it was so big, he'd obviously borrowed it. And things oh, yeah. like I mean, I knew families yeah. that had one suit for all the court appearances. Like brothers and cousins. Do you see a bit of that? Yeah, yeah, you do see it, people in ill-fitting suits and so on, but you also see the reverse. And I I remember one bloke turning up and he had several gold rings and he had a gold necklace, a gold ingot hanging around, uh, hanging around his neck. And and I said, uh, what's your occupation, mate? And he said, unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you see sort of weird things on both sides and people turning up with a a T-shirt saying something like, born to be pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I had one bloke, I'd appeared for him the first time and he he had a lot of tattoos that were not that attractive Mm -hmm. and the second term he turned up with this white bandage and I said, what did you do to your hand? And he said, oh, nothing, I just want to hide the tats. Oh, that's smart at least. Yeah, yeah, of course. And what's the county court then? Well, the county court is for people who've committed indictable offences where they they want a judge and jury, mm-hmm. so they are more they are more serious offences. Murders go to the Supreme Court, mm. but just about most other things will, will be in the county court. So, you know, it's... Sexual assaults and things of that nature, uh, um, like bad assaults. Robberies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Things like that. Yeah. I think um, you, you can do armed robberies in the magistrate's court depending on how much has been mm. stolen. There are sexual offences in the magistrate's court, mm. some of them somewhat bizarre. So, you know, you've always got blokes who 
who were in trouble for flashing and they they were always, you know, got caught short and they just wanted to have a leak. Oh, yeah. And you say, but, you know, why didn't you go behind the tree? Oh, I didn't notice a tree. But you're in Sherbrooke Forest along the road. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? okay. So, yeah, so you see some sort of humorous ones there. Mm. But the, the advantage of the magistrate's court to people like me is it's not too heavy and if you if your clients go away they don't go away for too long and it has the 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 camaraderie and you sort of know everyone and if you're in the one court a fair bit you get to know the prosecutors but i must um, say with regard to the the police mm-hmm. who you get to know quite well there is always sort of you know exchanges and banter and slinging off which is which is fun. Is your name really Michael Challenger? Is your name really Challenger? It actually is. How good yeah. is that? It's great. Well, surname. it is, but I, I think sometimes people speaking to me on the phone expect something different from what they get. I've known you for about 20 minutes and I think it's perfect. I think you are yeah. Challenger. Oh. Yeah. How long have you been working in the courts? Is I've, it- been a, I've been a barrister in Melbourne, it seems apparently 35-odd years, mm-hmm. and then I did some years before that in various other legal capacities. Mm. And in in a way, it's the same old thing, nothing changes, mm. but in another way the permutations of human stupidity are inexhaustible. <laughs> yeah, the- because you, in a way in your book you talk about it being sort of, you know, your clients as a genre of human, I'm going to say. Like you, you say, look, the thing is while we're all at work, they're still in bed is one way that you describe your clients in general? That's well, that, well, that's right. That's some of them. But I'm, I must say it's, it might have changed a bit late, lately but okay. I reckon eight out of ten of my clients, I sort of like them as individuals. Yeah. One out of ten I'm a bit indifferent to and one, one out of ten I dislike okay. and they're the real assholes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's not bad odds though. No, 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 it's yeah. pretty good because mm. it means that most of the time you can have some rapport with them hmm. and say, you know, listen, mate, you, you know, you seem a good bloke, but, you know, what, how can you do this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so you you can make some connection with them. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to see them all go to jail. You know, you, you want a harmonious community. Yeah. And a lot of them, if you speak to them in that way, they sort of, you know, they acknowledge that, you know, they've done the wrong thing, that you're right and that, you know, what they've copped. The ones who cop it sweet are the ones that you like. Yeah. Because they show some responsibility and, you know, there's some hope for them. But the the ones who have absolutely they're oblivious to any responsibility to anyone else, mm. everything is everything is somebody else's fault. For a lot of people though, um, going to jail is far less troublesome, far less traumatic than a fine, isn't it? Less traumatic. Yeah, oh. I mean, I mean, a big fine. I'm not. Well, what's a big fine? I'm going to say, when I've been to the magistrates court, I've heard people talk about it. There, you know, a fine of a thousand dollars has been devastating to people. There. Well, these days you can pay it off on the drip feed. Right. You can do uh, unpaid community work. Right. And it takes so long; it really isn't any longer like an incubus on you. It's right. just something that goes along. Well, that's most reasonable. most of the time. Uh, look, somebody who's been to jail half a dozen times and all his relatives are in there. Yeah. Well, I, and I've had them sa- saying, "Oh, you know, make sure I go to Raven yeah. Raven Hall because my brother's there." Yeah. Um, 
But the the thing about um, the penalty of going to jail, it's it's meant to be the last resort, yeah. And it really is. You've got in Victoria, you've got to work pretty hard to end up in jail. Well, that's good to know. Um, but it's a, a paradox that when they go to jail, you know, half of them reoffend, so it isn't a deterrent. Yeah. But the fear of jail is a deterrent because people want to avoid it. Yeah. So once you send someone to jail, you sort of lose that. Um, you lose that deterrent. It's yeah. sort of paradoxical. Mm. But, um, yeah, mo- most of the time, you know, people aren't keen on it at all. No. Mm. Do you encourage clients to plead guilty when they are guilty? Oh, it's it's up to them to tell me. Mm. But what I do is I say this is the evidence against you. Mm. And if you say you weren't there and there's four people who know you that, say you were, mm. and you're on CCTV <laughs> and it looks just like you, yeah. what are you going to say? And sometimes they say, oh, that's not my, that's not my hat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the, <laughs> I, I remember one client who maybe had been excluded from a nightclub but he had a down on them and he turned up in a Spider-Man mask throwing stubbies against their window uh-huh. and then... Um, you know, and, and he might have got away with it, except he pulled the mask down oh, no. when he gave them the finger, <laughs> oh, no. which is on the on, on the video. Oh. But I, I must say, he was a complete nutter mm. um, because later on, the the cops got him and he played up, and they took him to get him admitted to the psychiatric ward, oh. and they refused to take him because they said he wasn't sick; he was just bad. Mm. But after about two hours, they accepted him. And then he somehow got Grog into the ward. He incited the other inmates, if you like, to abscond. And then he got grabbed again and he ended up... At some stage he he took all his clothes off and pissed into a waste paper basket in Centrelink or something like this. Oh, that's right. Then they took him to the cells. He was given clothes... And in the cells, he took the clothes off again and stuffed them in the toilet and flooded the oh, cell. Oh, my God. No, blokes who flood the cell with the toilet. It's nasty. They, they shit you, don't they? But getting back to your question, yeah. um, look, most people when they are, um, you know, they're caught red-handed or whatever, are going to admit it. Um, the exceptions are going to be driving offences. Pe- people sort of can't face reality. They get they got click, clocked at 135 and they want to argue about it. But generally speaking, people will own up. And it's to their advantage because if they plead guilty, they get some credit for not wasting the court's time yeah. and for showing some remorse. And, in fact, the law requires in certain circumstances that the magistrate state what the penalty would have been but for the plea of guilty. And you get things like they get four months jail and if they pleaded guilty they would have got 12 Mm. or they avoid jail altogether and otherwise they would have got nine. So the saving can be very big. Mm. Um, That's if you believe what the magistrate says at the end that he would have done, he or she, um, which sometimes is a bit, they gild the lily a bit. But, but yeah, there's a big advantage to to pleading guilty. The other thing is that a a prosecution case is always stronger when witnesses give their evidence, mm. then it looks on paper. Mm. So it's going to turn out worse for you in court 
um, than it does on paper unless you've got a strong case and there's really something unusual about it that, the, you know, the witnesses are all, you know, con- conspired or whatever. Have you ever come across or defended people in magistrates who have gone on to then go to county court? You've Supreme, graduated. because we've heard, even when you mentioned the, the, the offences like the flashing, we know that some offenders in Victoria who've gone on to kill started off flashing getting let off at the magistrate's court? No, no, I have. But when they get into the county court, because I don't, I only do appeals in the county court, you know, I don't follow, follow them. But certainly, you know, some, and you can see it when, when I encounter them and I just think, you know, this bloke's bad news Mm. and it's going to go on. But so sometimes you can predict it, but other times you can't. And well, I, I can think of one bloke who went on and murdered his wife mm. and I could never have predicted it. Wow. Um, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors and that's the problem with granting bail too, mm. that if if you don't let people out on bail because there is a risk, you know, nobody will nobody will be on bail because there's always a risk and the question is what's a reasonable risk and what isn't and, you know, the magistrates have got to decide and... Well, they don't want anything bad to happen to start with um, and they don't want to be on TV. Here's the magistrate who released this bloke and he went and did such and such. So, but you can't predict, you know, things happen that just weren't foreseeable. What what makes you think, what are your flags, red flags, when you've got a client in the magistrate's court and you're like, this is bad news? What what, what are the things that you notice or...? just if you've got somebody who you can't relate to in any way, they just have no empathy mm. or understanding of others, they're completely self-centred, they have no sense of responsibility, no sense of remorse, often, you know, they're just complete liars, they're, you know, rude, ungrateful, untrusting. I think you meet so many pe- people and you have met so many humans that you just must have by now a gauge on humans and what you must now know when you meet someone who's just not right. We all think we're pretty astute when we meet other people. Yeah. But we all get taken in by, you know, yeah. you, we put our money in an investment thing because <laughs> somebody was so um, credible. It is true that you, um, because I've seen so many people in these situations, yeah. that you can sort of tell, and it's what I said before, you know, eight out of ten of them, look, they're they're reasonable people, although they're doing naughty things and sometimes very naughty, but, you know, you can still relate to them as human beings, Mm. but, you know, one in ten that I encounter, you know, just no hope. But even the ones who are, you know, you have rapport with, you know, they just don't help themselves. I had to go to Ballarat the other day. And the bloke's looking at going to jail, so we've got to get everything right. Mm. And I've been sending him emails. Of course, he hadn't replied and I phoned him, you know, the phone's off. Finally, the day before, and I said, why didn't you answer my emails? Oh, and I didn't have a connection. What about your phone? Oh, I lost it. There's always an excuse. Anyway, he was to get get there at 9 o'clock and, of course, I've driven from Melbourne, I'm there quarter to nine, but 
about 10 to 10, I finally get him on the phone. Oh, I'm just getting up. You know, I'm going to go to the salvos and get the fare. Uh, you know, they, yeah. it's their it's their case. Yeah. It's their freedom. And yeah, what do you reckon that's about? It's uh, I, I think it's just a lack of responsibility. Mm. That, but it, it's it's sort of inexplicable. You know, they get put on bail, mm. and you say to them, "Look, you're on really strict, really strict conditions." Yeah, yeah, no worries. Said, you've got to report to the police every second day. No, no worries. You can't drink. No worries. Um, and, you know, two days later you hear that they're back in custody. Yeah. So you would think in that situation they would do everything right, but they can't. They're sort of stretching the limits all the time or just just not getting up in the morning. It's these stories that make you wonder how the, you know, social workers and people like that can keep doing their jobs because... Um, I agree because some, you know, they're just beating their heads against yeah. the wall. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm able to give up sooner and I'm only doing yeah. it, you know, I'm I'm not their best friend or their social worker. Yeah. I'm there to do a particular job. After the break, Michael talks about the circumstances that can mean someone is more likely to come into contact with the legal system. A big thanks to our patrons, Bev Kanzler, Aidan Hasty, Sue Shea, Kelly Reed, Anthony Ramsey and Trace. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A girl of six mm-hmm. she made a statement to the police saying, oh, mummy's friends were at home and then mummy poked a needle in her arm, mm-hmm. then mummy died then she woke then somebody said the police are here and she came alive again and um we all climbed through the window and ran away mm. this is a 6 year old girl dhs or dhs is it now is 
get involved for the protection of the, the child and I think there are other children too, and they find uh, needles, um, hypodermic needles on the front uh, seat of the car, mm-hmm. to which my client says, so what, the kids sit in the back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's her attitude and you just think, you know, what chance have the kids got Yeah. with... And fast forward 10, 15 years and perhaps that girl then is a woman. She'll, and be, a, she, she'll be one of my clients. Well, and so one. you need to be telling the court, well, perhaps the extenuating circumstances to this case are that this is the environment in which she grew up and... Yeah, look, there's, there's plenty of mitigating circumstances. Yeah. You know, there can be all kinds of things and the, the job of the advocate is to, is to yeah. find them. So if you've got somebody who has come from a, a good upbringing, of course you say, look, they're de- basically a decent person and this was a one-off, it's an anomaly. And then if they come from a, a lousy background, then you say, oh, well, what chance did they have? And, you know, so you can get benefit from whichever scenario um, you've got. Mm. But, you know, people do things under under pressure, mm. um, where they're financial pressures, when people have got ga- gambling addictions or alcoholism or drug use, you know, all of those things obviously, you know, contribute to people's offending behaviour. What sort of offending behaviour would you expect to see in a person who grew up in an environment like that? And when I say an environment like that, and I don't mean to shame even that girl's parents because I I feel as though her, her parent has probably grown up in a disadvantaged environment. But when a child grows up in an environment in which her mum is unable to make her feel safe at six and when she's climbing out of a window and running away after seeing her mum die and be brought back to life, what sort of offending behaviour would you Oh, well, just growing up in... um, We underestimate the benefits of a happy home life. We all think, you know, we've got it, but some people just don't have it. So she's... Well, the main thing is that drug use is normalised for her. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that she will be um, probably anti-police. Anti-authority in general? Yeah, and resistant to authority and she'll be, you know, irresponsible and um, all all of those things, you know, leave school early, um, get pregnant early. um, And for, for girls, you see really nice girls and they take up with blokes who are absolute bastards and they do it and then they get beaten up and then they... Their next partner is exactly the same. Well, we know the vast majority of women in prison are there for drug offences and uh, have been victims of domestic violence. So this is the pattern that you're describing. Oh, yeah, well, the women who are in jail, yeah. yeah. And I'm told, um, you know, the the women in jail, everyone gets on um, okay. There's no... Um, sort of male hormones. Well, so many. I've been to visit women in jail and they'll say, like, to programs, you know, and so many of them say this is the first time in my life I've felt safe. Yeah, yeah. And I've been to jails where they're allowed to have their kids and they say this is the first time I've been safe with my kids yeah, yeah, in their sure. lives. And they're living in, um, you know, sort of cottage yeah. accommodation a, a lot. And you, and they've never had that before. I've I've said to people, you know, and uh, you know, to clients, you know, how is it? Oh, it's... It's good, and I say if you got you know the the others in the cottage, uh, how how are they? Are oh, they're lovely? Two are murderers. Yeah, you talk about shoplifting in such an interesting way. I'd never thought about it in much depth, but you make this point that you've seen shoplifters, and you 
specifically you talk about women and how a lot of them will steal things that are completely useless to them and they'll be quite sort of compulsive about it, that they'll steal things like you've seen them steal spark plugs, be really compulsive about spark plugs or um, six copies of the same book or clothes in the wrong sizes, very specifically clothes that do not fit them. Of course, if they'd stolen six copies of my book, that, I would think that's... That'd be per, brilliant because once they're in the bookshop, no, they're considered sold, those, so that's fine. Th- those ones that you've mentioned yeah. are obviously fed income yeah. people who've... You know, Who women, women going through menopause is the classic because they've been really good people and, you know, they're going through hormonal changes and they do weird things. That, do they? Um, we, we might end up in court, Michelle, later on. If, 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 if I end up in court... For stealing clothes that don't fit me, I'll be furious. I'd like to think, Michael, it'd be something a bit more hectic than that. A nice designer bag or something. How embarrassing though, Michael. Do you find that when they have to come to you, they meet you at your boot and they go, Mr Challenger, I'm I'm terribly embarrassed. Then It's a nice middle-aged lady from the suburbs. She goes, "I'm, I'm terribly ashamed. I've only gone and stolen 40 spark plugs. I don't know what came over me. I don't even know how to use a spark plug. And, she, and she's 53 and she's just the loveliest lady. I mean, how humiliating. Oh, yeah, it's very embarrassing. Yeah. And, you, and you say to them, don't worry, it's, it will be understood. The magistrate will understand. Yeah. You can, you've got 53 years of good, good yeah. character for that long. You get credit for that. God, that's awful. And, um, yeah, so something like that's obviously genuine that there's problems and they'll get put on a bond if it's a first offence mm. or even... Or, or Do they have to go to court? Get a court. Oh, look, if they've been caught by the police the first time round, they get a caution mm. and then they can be, you know, then there's another step, a, a diversion. But, you know, they'll get a bond to keep going to the doctor mm. and, and that sort of thing. But the other side of the coin is people who know that it's very rare to go to jail for shoplifting. Mm. And so they just keep just keep doing it. What about um, when it comes to drink drivers? It feels like, or maybe it's just reported more because it's more salacious, it feels like there's more day drinkers who are women. You know how they always... Yeah, that's... Is that true? Going on the school run. Yeah, it always feels like, oh, and a a Burwood mum was pulled over three times over the limit at 3.30 in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. She'd gone to get a McFlurry at (laughs) 3 o'clock and was pissed off her head or something. Yeah, on the way to get the kids. Is that more common? It, um, yeah, I think it is that they get caught because men do their boozing at night. Yeah. Um, but the numbers of drink drivers, it's it's hard to say now whether there's sort of equality. But, you know, at one, one time men were overwhelmingly the, you know, the drink drivers, mm. but now it may be, um, be more equal. But, of course, there is less drink driving, thank goodness, than there was, you know, 20 years ago, the whole... The whole culture has changed. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that, um, you know, one at one time it was just regarded as, uh, you know, a bit of an escapade. Oh, I got pissed and, you know, scratched a car and, mm. you know, took off and got home. Um, whereas now it's regarded as what it is. It's a completely dangerous, antisocial Yes, it's um, socially unacceptable. Behavior. But the um, drink drivers, it's, it's interesting, even when they're completely pissed, they still have a survival instinct and so I've had cases where, well, I think of one, where a bloke's been at the pub and he had his 12-year-old son in the car and 
he's going up a country road and there was a car behind following and watching. The car, his car hit the, this is the offender's car, hit the, hit an embankment, overturned, and the witness jumped out of his car to help and he saw a man and a 12-year-old boy get out of the window and run into the bush. Mm. And so the police are called and everything and lo and behold, the man emerges from the bush further up the road exactly three hours and five minutes after the accident which is three hours is the limit of time that they can be compulsorily oh. breathalyzed, And say, yeah, what a, what a coincidence. Gosh. And why did he go into the bush? Oh, you know, I was concussed and I, I went the wrong way in to find help. I imagine that you do become a bit cynical, which probably could be a protective mechanism just so you don't get too involved. But do you have any thoughts about the stuff you see where you're like, man society's like this is a big issue it's not just about individual responsibility and oh you should get your shit together and not do this but broadly is there stuff that you think wow this is a problem I don't know gambling Mm. Um, women getting done for drink driving in the middle of the day well are they alcoholics I mean these are the things that I you know wonder when you see these like emerging like emerging social problem or one well one thing that's obviously come to light recently is family violence Mm. and you know, years and years ago, um, it was, well, in official uh, minds, it didn't even exist. Yes. It was just a, um, a, it was a, a domestic, meaning nothing to do with the law, mm. let the bloke beat his missus up, it's behind closed doors, it's husband and wife. And that now has completely changed. The pendulum has swung so much the other direction mm. that there is now with intervention orders, you know, uh, unfairness, because every man is treated as a bastard. Yes. Oh, and okay. um, and that, um, which isn't the case. Yeah. Um, the pendulum has swung so far because the courts want to protect women. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of take the view, well, you know, I, who, who knows what actually happened, whether, you know, she hit him first or he hit her or whatever, mm. but I'll impose a, uh, a, a an intervention order in order to keep the peace. And where there are physical signs that a woman's got an injury, yeah. you know, they're, they're the easy ones. But the ones where the yes. woman say, says, he's controlling, yes. he's he puts me down yeah. and so on and I'm, you know, intimidated yeah. and belittled. But in that situation where you really can't tell, the tendency of the court is to impose an intervention order yeah. on the male anyway. Yeah. Just on the basis they, they think, look... If the bloke is a rotter, then she needs an order. And if he isn't, then um, an order's not going to affect him anyway because he's behaving nicely. But it sh- it shouldn't happen. It's an overcorrection, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah well, that's the yeah, word. Yeah, and it, it's, there for, and, it's happened for a reason because of for so long women weren't believed. But also now, I mean, that can have effects on um, custody. You oh, know, well, it has a big... Hearings uh, and things like that. When If a husband and wife are splitting up... Yeah. Uh, if it's an unhappy marriage and it's coming to an end, mm. the best thing the wife can do is go out and get an intervention order, kick the bloke out of the house. Yes. That then becomes the status quo, mm. and you can negotiate for for years while it's in the in the family court, and the wife has the advantage, and that is definitely done. And also, it's very difficult in Australia, probably most of the world, for a man who's being victimised by a female partner to get support. All of our systems are set up for the opposite. Yeah, you know? and it, it's also harder for them to, um, you know, admit 
to yeah. it yep. and go and get help. Yeah. And I remember one bloke who who I knew kind of out of court first and he always had these shocking scars on his face, which I thought was a some dermatitis or something. But in, in fact, his, his wife used to scratch him up mm. and but he definitely suffered um, physical injury from her, really nasty, mm. um, and he couldn't, he didn't admit it to anyone until right right at the end mm. that, that it had been her. But, yeah, I mean, look, women and children have got to be protected. I absolutely agree. Yeah. I'm, I, well, everyone's got to be protected. Where my criticism is mm. is that, well, the courts are so overburdened with it, you know, the, the cases are almost unrunnable unru- because they will drag on the bloke can can say, look, I didn't do it, but I'll consent to an order, and the thing is over. Mm. Or he can go through angst, expense, humiliation for months and months and months, and then almost certainly lose and get an order anyway. And there's been an interim one in, so he ends up subject to an order for a longer period anyway. So. You know, they're just not worth running. Well, the issue of the courts being overburdened is an interesting one. We hear about the family court all the time. What's the situation in the magistrate's court? Is How overburdened is it? How long are we waiting for our hearing? With intervention orders. Well, no, well, just in general. Yeah, intervention orders, it's terrifically over. Mm. Um, and it's just clog, clogged up. I didn't know they went through the magistrate's court. Yeah. Interven- they don't go through the family court. N- no, oh. no. Intervention orders are magistrate's court. Okay. Yeah, so I've... I've had a client who spent eight and a half months in custody. If he is guilty, I would think that the offending is worth about three months. Oh, no. And he's waiting for a hearing. Why is he in custody? I thought... He... Bail was opposed for him. Right. um, Because of the the risk of re-offending and... But... But again, it's it's para- paradoxical because he's not fit to be released on bail, according to the magistrate who heard it. Mm. Um, if he pleaded guilty, he'd be he'd, he'd get released because he's already done his time. He'd have been in and so, out by now. So then he'd be out, and God. if he is a risk, then you know That's... you can't keep people in forever because of no. when they are sentenced, they'd be sentenced to the appropriate period of imprisonment. So you can't say, oh, but when he gets out, he's going to make trouble again. And again, it's like you ha- you have to have your kind of mind, which I will go back and say again, I think is not only sharp but whimsical I think is the word that that springs to mind um, for you, challenger, um, because for me it's just so frustrating. For me the whole every time I have an in-depth conversation with somebody about the legal system, about the court system, I just want to tear my hair out. It's so frustrating and stupid and then but it's people like you who just you just have a nature that allows you to deal with it day by day. The, the other factor is I actually get paid for it. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Okay, sure. So when when things get really bad, mm. you just tell yourself, think of the money. Uh, yeah, okay. But, I, you know, I do a lot of work for legal aid mm. and it is not, not well paid. No, it's not. Um, and, and that would be incredibly frustrating, wouldn't it? Well... It is. I guess I'm not all that grasping, but I did a um, a case the other day. It involved tangentially. There was a sex worker, and the sex worker was getting two hundred and fifty dollars an hour, and I do this case for four hundred and twenty dollars. It takes 
all day, all this preparation, and I'm thinking, geez, I ought to change professions. You know, yeah. it, it just seemed out of um, out of proportion to well, me. Well, it's not really because you didn't have to suck cock, Michael. Let's be honest. Yeah, true. <laughs> <That's> it. true. <laughs> Come on, let's be fair. But, um, yeah, anyway. So, and that's work. But, but I, yeah. With any occupation, you always look at someone else, oh, if I was a pilot I'd be following 12 hours, 12 hours a week and making 200 grand. But um, legal, legal aid, um, I used not to grumble about it, but it really if you've got a case where the client is demanding, where it's complicated where you've got to arrange a lot of things and you, it really is hard work. you got this bloke who never shows up, doesn't answer oh. your phone calls. You've got to keep organising everything. He, he doesn't do his bit. You know, sure. Yeah, those sure. clients. How do you get your clients? Is it where do I meet you at the boot of your car? Like how do you get connected with them? Well, the, my books are in the boot of the car. Oh, really? Actually, we've all yes. got our books in the you boot actually, of our car, Michael. You actually yeah. meet me in the court in, the, in an interview room. Cool. But... For, for a, a barrister can be approached for some matters directly, so you do it through the clerk. But generally, you go to you know if you've got a legal problem, you go to a solicitor, and the solicitor says you need someone to appear in court, and um, a barrister is briefed. Legal Aid have offices all over Victoria, so people go to Legal Aid, and um, and if they qualify for the sort of offence that it is, and and the means test and so on, then they will get, be legally aided and legal aid can't afford their staff to be sitting in court all day waiting for the case to be called on mm. or it's too complicated for them so a barrister gets briefed. But the way legal aid works, of, of course, is that if if you're a heavy crim who's never done a day's work in his life and is looking at going to jail, he will get legal aid. And if you're a battler who's earning, you know, working in an ill-paid job who's done something mm. relatively minor and is not going to, not at risk of going to jail, they don't qualify. So well, they're on Why their is own. that? I don't understand uh, that. Well, it, it's just the most serious things are going to get priority mm. for funding. But it just seems an, an injustice where, you know, there's decent people who've done um, the wrong thing don't get it. But everybody can get the duty lawyer on the day so the second person I've mentioned, the lesser offender, can turn up on the day and get some legal advice and get represented for five minutes on something straightforward. Yeah, because they are that quick sometimes. I've sat in court where yeah, it's yeah. quick. So, well, some are, I mean, yeah. th- there are some offences where there's a tariff and unless there's something extraordinary, um, you know what the penalty is going to be. Yeah. M- most of the time, I when court was before COVID and when I'd have to sit in court waiting for my case to come on, I'd just be thinking, I'd I'd hear the case and I'd think, yeah, okay, $1,200 fine and then I'd hear, you know, $1,400. So most of us can predict fairly accurately and you can tell your client what, what they're looking at. But you need to know the magistrate a bit because there are some magistrates who think you ask for a modest fine and they think three three grand is modest. Mm. Um, and then there's others who are sort of the reverse. There are some who don't like community orders. And I, I, I remember once um, a barrister saying to me that the worst thing that could happen was if a legal studies, high school legal studies class showed up. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> then you knew the judge was going to throw the book at everyone that day. Oh, yeah, they, they, they play to the audience. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, you've written this book, which I don't know, is it to preserve the stories that you're hearing? Because I feel like there are so many stories from the magistrate's court that we are never going to hear. I think I, think I say in it, I just felt the impulse to share with other people what I've spent most of my working life doing. And, of course, when I see people socially, often if they know my job, they often say, oh, Michael, you know, do you had had any interesting cases lately? And, you know, you get people whom you just meet, the barber in the hairdressers or somebody at a dinner party, oh, you're a lawyer, and they immediately start telling you how everything is wrong with the law and it's a... (laughs) It's all shit house and it's bull dust and and then and it turns out the only court they've ever seen is Judge Judy on yeah. Channel Ten. Well, that's I, a good point though. In general, do you feel as though it works? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, right. I mean, look, it's intervention orders are really clunky. It's slow, um, but people get a fair go. Most people come away in magistrates' courts. You're able to say, well, you got fairly dealt with. Okay does vary according to magistrates because some, sometimes you get outrageous results. But in general, yeah, the system works. Okay. It, it, it does. And I've, I, I worked for a while in England and I just comparing what was the case then where it was all class riddled, the, the people on the bench, you know, the magistrates are all toffs and up themselves mm. and, you know, it just didn't seem to work and it's all so prolix and pompous and you come here and it's more it's down to earth and generally working and sensible so yeah in comparison with what i um, did in england mm. I, I think it's okay that's not to say that it's um it's perfect by a long shot and in the book i make quite a few points where things have gone wrong mm. but you know i don't know the answers and um but i'm pointing out mistakes yeah, I feel much better for having heard that actually from you because I think, well, you know, you see it more than most and I think you're a sensible well, human. Not not just courts but a, a lot of things, institutions are very important mm. and to see them undermined in Parliament, for example, is pretty dis, dispiriting. Mm. Um, we've, we've got systems that work, the, bank, the banks work, the legal system sort of works. We're, we're lucky because a lot of countries don't have that at all. So true. Thanks to our guest, Michael Challenger. His book is called Mostly Guilty, A Low-Flying Barrister's Working Life. We've got details in the show notes for this episode. If you have been affected by anything you've heard in this episode, you can phone Lifeline on 13 11 14. We want you to take care of yourselves. A big thanks to our patrons, Claudia Jones, Rebecca, Carla Sevenoaks, Linda Dalton, Bernadette Leahy, Bernadette Williams, two Bernadettes, Kylie Quigley. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. And thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime, recorded at a Hub Australia media studio. HubAustralia.com. Find the workspace that's right for you. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.